Good afternoon, everybody. This is Corey Hepler for the Crazy Monkey Inc. podcast. I have some interesting news. Due to weather conditions and it being extremely rainy, the fair had been rained out. So my family and I decided to ixnay the plans for the fair. And now Jared and I get to do another podcast this weekend. So I apologize for any inconveniences the last podcast gave. However, it was pending something happened or not. So here we are, Jared, as always, it's fantastic to have you on the show. I always like your input. We have a really interesting topic that we're going to be talking about right now. All right, awesome. Let's, let's get into it. Now, you and I had discussed a while back mm-hmm. the Castlevania franchise. Oh, yeah, exactly. And how, how one game from the NES took it and just obliterated the video game franchise to uh-huh. a whole new skyrocketing, basically, menage of beautiful games afterwards, like Simon mm-hmm. Belmont's Quest, and mm-hmm. you have Dracula's Curse, you have uh, all, the, well, all these uh, other ones. Well, there was Super Castlevania IV, uh, Dracula X, they had, uh, oh man, they had a whole bunch after that, there was... Uh, there was Castlevania 64, there was Symphony of the Night. Yes. Uh, there was, um, um, uh, let's see, there was um, Circle of the Moon, um, Aria of Sorrow, I mean, so many others, and I'm not going to go over a whole freaking list, but basically, the Castlevania franchise spawned so many freaking games for so many different systems. Exactly. Because, I mean, they had it for the Nintendo, the Super Nintendo, the Genesis. The Game Boy. The Game Boy. Uh, they had it for the PlayStation. They yeah. had it for the Xbox. Uh, they, it, it, you know, um, the thing is they had it for so many freaking different systems, it was freaking huge. And, and I think I know which, where, where you're going with that, because uh, if I remember, you and I were just barely discussing this, and we're, and we're going to talk about another big storied franchise. And the storied franchise that I am so excited to talk about tonight is The Legend of Zelda. Oh, yeah. And, see, and that's a franchise that I love just as much as the Castlevania one. As much as I love the dark, gothic horror of Castlevania in its atmosphere. Legend of Zelda is one of those... It's, it's, to me, it's like a quintessential fantasy action-adventure game. It's one of those, it's one of those things that it's like... It, it's, always, it's always got something <clears throat> new that it's bringing to it, yet something very familiar, like the Castlevania franchise. And, and then, I mean, you know... And, and, and then a lot of people like, like the fact that Link is a silent protagonist, that... that they can kind of put themselves into his shoes. Basically, it's almost like when you're playing Link, that's you. That's you going on this big adventure. Exactly. And I love the fact that in all of the Zelda games, Link either doesn't say anything or he hardly says anything at all because, mm-hmm. like you said, he is that silent protagonist who just gets the job done. Well, exactly, but it was also kind of the perspective thing, because I know a lot, a lot of creators will do this. He's the kind of character that the reason he's that way is because of the fact that he uh, he's supposed to represent you, the yeah. player. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, it's almost as if you're experiencing these fantasy adventures through the eyes of this character. Exactly. Um, 
Um, one thing I forgot mm-hmm. to mention that you and I had talked about yeah. a couple of episodes before is the disclaimer for this podcast. Oh, yeah, exactly. Oh, just so everyone knows, this podcast is not for children. So if you're so if you're letting your little ones listen to this, you need to know that we have foul language. We talk about sometimes adult themes, not so much as I said the really salacious stuff, but yeah. but usually the more mature theme stuff and in you know, you know and uh, um, and so uh, we always want to get this disclaimer out of the way that that our podcast is for mature minds. And that's not to discourage anybody that wants to listen to it. If you want to listen to it with your kid, make sure they're at least 15, 16 years old and have a sound mind that know what's mature and to differentiate and not take it to school and say, oh, I heard this podcast. And they said, fuck a lot. You know, when they talk about, you know, uh, other adult themes because, A, we don't want to get in trouble, and B, we don't want to get in trouble. Well, and that's the, that's the main thing. But the whole point is, is, hey, we're not telling you how to raise your kids and how to do this and that. The whole thing is, is if you may, it, it, it's like it's like if you want your kids to listen to this podcast with you, that's great and that's awesome. We love a we, we love we love more more of an audience. I just want you to know that this th- there is mature stuff we're going to cover and there is going to be swearing. <coughs> so if you don't want your kids to be hearing that, you're better off not showing it to them. I totally agree. Now, segueing back into what we're talking about. With Legend of Zelda. The Zelda franchise has been such an anomaly Mm -hmm. for the video game entertainment industry that you look at the three big giants in video game history. You have Super Mario Brothers, mm-hmm. which has spawned I don't know how many damn games. Oh, yeah. It's uh, just, I don't probably, have enough probably, fingers for well, that. Well, uh, probably just as many as all the other franchises we mentioned previously. Exactly. And then you've got Castlevania, which has brought uber amounts of games and merchandise and just, oh, yeah. just an amount of merchandise that is mind-boggling. Mm-hmm. And then you have this fun cute adventure that uh-huh. this elf goes on well exactly and and they're never all the same the whole thing is is that there's similarities you have core stuff that you see in in every legend of zelda game and that's going to happen and, but um but then um yeah but then um with uh, but that uh, but then also uh, what you have is like each game has its own unique story its own unique take on the characters. Yeah. And 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 it gives kind of gives you the impression that you're never really actually playing as the same character, that you're actually playing as either ancestors of or descendants of the same character. And in fact, they even confirm that in a timeline um, I think about 5 years ago. Oh, they did. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and and it was shortly after they had released Skyward Sword. Exactly. And they came out with an official timeline. And what a lot of people was, was funny is there was a lot of fan theories, and they had most of it right. The funny thing is, is they actually had, had an additional timeline that nobody had thought of. Because initially what people thought was that you had, um, that, that you had two 
timelines that have branched out into because uh, you had like you had like the origin storyline and then and then after that it, like everyone knew that the storyline branched off after Ocarina of Time. Like Ocarina of Time was the, the was the point where you went off into a different story. Yeah, arcs. and you could see that. Um, the initial fan <clears throat> theory was that there was the uh, the young Link timeline and then the adult Link timeline. Um, but uh, what the official timeline had confirmed and actually even expanded on was that, yeah, there was a young Link timeline and an adult Link timeline. But then there was a, an additional timeline called, uh, called If the Hero Failed. Yeah. And interestingly enough... This um, took a dark turn. Well, and that's actually where as some of As far most... as the Zelda franchise is concerned. Oh, yeah. Well, a lot of people are like, what, what? He lost? He but, lost? But, yeah, they were pissed about that. But then also, interesting enough, it, it shows that the original Zelda games that we grew up with actually were part of an alternative timeline. Mm-hmm. Like, like all the stuff that we know, like Legend of Zelda, Zelda 2 Adventure of Link, Zelda, Legend of Zelda Link to the Past. Which is a great game. Yeah. Um... And uh, and and even um, and even the um, the Oracle of Ages and or- uh, Oracle of Ages and the Oracle of Seasons games. Yes, they all took place in um, in this alternative timeline. Yeah, um, and in uh, like I said, basically, it's be- the whole the way the story goes is Link Link dies. In Ocarina of Time, mm-hmm. which segues into this other timeline, which basically, then, then the, the, the then the land of Hyrule basically turned into the Dark World, and and then that's actually where you got the Dark World that was seen in the original original Legend of Zelda games. Yeah, yeah, and then uh, and 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 then that would kind of segue into that story arc, and then um. And then you obviously had, like I said, you had the Adult Link timeline, which which segued into things like uh, Majora's Mask. Actually, no, no, that was Kid Timeline, I'm sorry. You had um, the Adult Timeline, actually, which um, I believe that one actually... Yeah, yeah, now I remember. That one actually segued into the things where you get where you had the, almost the cartoonish Link, where you have... The adult link timeline is what segued into things like the Wind Waker, yeah, um, Four Sword Adventures, mm-hmm. um, and um, yeah, and, and things like that. Um, and then you had the Kid Link timeline, which went into games. This was the one that had games like Majora's Mask, um, Twilight, uh, Twilight Princess, mm-hmm. um, and and yeah, and so. Um, uh, and then that was the whole revelation with the revealing timeline thing. Yeah. And then uh, and now they've even expanded on it with um, with the new Legend of Zelda game that they have, um, Breath of the Wind. Because mm-hmm. in Breath of the Wind, it's actually taking place in a in, a, in another um, prehistory point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and what's interesting about the the Zelda games. And if you don't study Zelda, you're just going to be, huh? They actually go all over the damn place. There is not actually one definitive timeline for Mm -hmm. the games because it's not just um, Zelda 1 and then the rest of them, and it just follows that. It jumps all over the damn place. It's confusing as hell. Each game is, and I like to look at it like as, as kind of like... 
Um, and a lot of people might consider this blasphemy or something, but the whole thing is, I consider it a lot like, say, a Chrono Trigger or Chrono Cross. Yeah. Is that you're dealing with uh, different time periods and you're dealing with even alternate dimensions and whatnot. The whole, the whole thing is, is that that's what makes each Zelda game unique, is you don't know exactly what kind of experience you're going to get because you know that you're going to get a, a familiar experience of, with Legend of Zelda, but you also know it's going to be a different experience because you know that that uh, that that the history and the story of it is not going to be the same, that it's going to be its own sort of unique experience. See, and I really love that you bring that up because as you go through these games and each game is a new experience for you, you've got new bosses, you've got old bosses coming back, mm -hmm. and it's almost like the one antagonist that stays predominant throughout the entire series is Ganon. Oh, yeah. The, he's, he's the asshole much... of the whole <laughs> franchise. Yeah, exactly. It's like a, he's, pretty much, he's pretty much the main bad guy in most Zelda games. There's, there have been a few where he wasn't the main protagonist. Yeah. Um, but, but for the most part, it's usually him. He's, you know, I mean, you see him in pretty much most of the major titles. He's, 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 the, um, he's the reoccurring bad guy. You know, um, he's... Like like how Bowser is with Mario, yeah. That's how Ganon is with with Link. You know, basically you 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 um, you're pretty much uh, almost guaranteed that Ganon's either going to a be in it through the whole game, or he's at least going to be hinted at. Because even in um, even in Skyward Sword, um, and this is going to be a big spoiler. So if you guys have not played this game. Don't uh, don't listen to this. Uh, you know, uh, skip ahead a few minutes. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> but uh, the thing is, is like in Skyward Sword, it's revealed that the main bad guy. Uh, see, I keep forgetting his name, but uh, he was the fire demon, um, and uh, basically he um, he said that he was going to come back. And he was going to come back in the in incarnation of a human body. Yeah. And and it's basically shown that he basically comes back as Ganon. Mm -hmm. And so basically, Ganon was in Skyward Sword, but he wasn't like the Ganon that we knew. Now, what's interesting about the, the evil antagonist Ganon, yeah. he actually has quite an interesting backstory as well that a lot of people don't know about. Oh yeah, and that was actually expanded upon in... Ocarina of Time, one of my favorite Legend of Zelda games. Exactly. Um, and that one, he was he was actually he he was actually born um, amongst the group of thieves, mm -hmm. the the Gerudo. And um, and the thing is, is that um, the Gerudo are predominantly like a female tribe. Mm -hmm. And um, but every once once every uh, like like once a generation or once every hundred years, I believe it is. They will have a male. They they will have a male child born. The animation sucks. Yeah. Um. But yeah, every once once every you said hundred years or so they'll um they'll have um they said they'll they'll have a male heir that's born. Yeah. And um and anyway, Ganon was part of that, but the problem was was that Ganon was power hungry from the start. And, um, and, and, and originally he, hit that race was actually yeah. a very peaceable race. Oh, they were. And in fact, and in fact, he actually turned his, he turned his back on him and basically then he went out to basically try to 
uh, make a conquest of the land of Hyrule. Shows you what kind of and, an asshole he was. Oh yeah, in fact, he even <laughs> he even tried to he even tried to persuade the king of Hyrule to you know to to basically give up the lands. They they would they said no anyway. Ganon comes in with his dark forces and everything and yeah. uh, um, basically tries to sack the whole kingdom um, and then. Um, um, isn't that when the king employed uh, Link to well, actually, help no, take Link, back the Link land? wasn't employed. Uh, Link, Link, Link kind of took it up because what happened was he had met he had met the princess when they were children. Yeah, and and no, and she said that she didn't trust Ganon because uh, at the time he was a, he was actually his full name was Ganondorf. That's right. And he didn't actually become Ganon until he actually shifted his form and turned into the pig demon that we all know. Yeah, and he um, like scrapped the last name because yeah. he didn't want to be a part of that. Well, no, I mean he just it, it was it was kind of like a rebirth kind of thing. Is basically now I'm this character. Mm -hmm. But anyway, he used to be a, a person named Ganondorf. And anyway, what happened was he was having an audience with the king. Around that time, that's when because Link was Link was sent to meet with Zelda because he. Um, what happened was there was this prophecy going around, if, if anybody's played Ocarina of Time. Once again, spoilers if you've never played it. Um, but uh, what happened was um, they had this tree called the Deku Tree. Mm -hmm. And he had basically told Link that, that he needed to go out and seek Zelda because, uh, because she was part of his destiny. Mm-hmm. And and anyway, what happens is he 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 goes there, meets up with her, and around that time, that's when Ganondorf <coughs> is seeking an audience with the king. Yeah, Zelda tells him she doesn't trust this guy. Link doesn't trust him either. Mm -hmm. And then they basically, uh, and then she basically wants him to, she wants Link to gather up these stones mm -hmm. to um to open up the um uh, to open up the chamber of time so he can get the master sword. Mm -hmm. The Master Sword is said to be the Sword of Evil's Bane. Exactly. And basically can vanquish evil. And so basically Link gathers these gems, trying to get the Master Sword so that he can, you know, get rid of this evil guy. Not knowing, unfortunately, because what would happen was they didn't count on this, because Link was a child. He, I mean, he was the chosen warrior that they'd been looking for, but he was a child. He wasn't old enough yet. So what happened was when he... Got finally got into the Temple of Time after you do all these different quests. Yeah. Um, he draws the sword, and then what happens is the 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 temple uh, uh, the, the sages anyway in the temple basically put Link in this sort of form of suspended animation because he was too young. So they needed him to be older in order to be the champion they needed. Exactly. And and but sadly, what ended up happening, and they didn't count on this, was Link drew the sword. He ended up with spinning animation. Ganon, uh, Ganon, who was Ganondorf at the time, counted on this. Mm -hmm. He wanted Link to open that up because then he had access to the Temple of Time because he was trying to get because the, the Temple of Time was also where they could access the Triforce, the big. The, the, the big, you know, three cubes, uh, or not cube, but the three triangles that most people know about in this, and, uh, and it's a big source of power in Hyrule. Yeah. Which was gifted to them by the gods. And uh, anyway, <clears throat> um, Ganon wanted to get that because there were three Triforces, and they each had a different power. There was the, uh, there was the Triforce of Power, there was the Triforce of Wisdom, and there was the Triforce of Courage. Exactly. And uh, 
uh, and interestingly enough, um, each person actually could access certain different parts of it. Like Ganon um, had uh, gained access to the Triforce of Power. Zelda actually had gained access to the Triforce of Wisdom. And Link had gained access to the Triforce of Courage. Yeah. Um, and anyway, um, he basically takes over the, the, he takes the opportunity to take over the land. Things become dark. You, you wake up years later as an adult and then find out that, uh, you know, find, find out that the land's basically been taken by Ganon. Most of your friends are out in hiding. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Princess Zelda is missing. And then you basically have to go and find out what happened and piece this whole thing together. Um... And is is you know it's pretty cool, but uh, but that's what I'm saying is that, uh, um, it, but it explains a whole lot of origin story for several different characters, um, and uh, like I said, in Ganon's case, it showed that he was he was always power hungry from the beginning, but he didn't become a demon until near the end of that game, and this is the big thing, is uh, when he basically. He he basically used the used the um, Triforce to basically change his shape because he basically decided okay well if because what happened was Link had defeated him in that point yeah and he decided well fine if I if I if I can't rule the world like I want I'm going to just flat out kill you mm-hmm. and that's when he changed his shape and turned into Ganon and basically went out to just kill Link. Um, you know, uh, and then, and as I said, and that's what, and, and then what, what happened in that battle determines which timeline, because as I said, you, um, you get defeated and then you have that, that branched off timeline, which goes into the original Legend of Zelda series, interestingly enough, and then you have the adult link timeline, which is basically, because what happens is, once again, dealing with time travel, you always get these kind of things, and a lot of people are like, what? What? Confusing. What? Yes. But if you've seen stuff like like what you and I have, if you've seen stuff like Sliders, and you play games like Chrono Trigger, and you've watched, say, like the Back to the Future series, yeah, you, you understand about these alternative timelines and whatnot. Anyway, what happened was, the Adult Link timeline was a result of what happened was, because Link had, had um, killed... Or, or, or it sealed away, I guess it was. Uh, Link had helped to seal away Ganon. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and basically, um, and, and then, uh, and then basically what ended up happening was, uh, was, um, then you go into the Wind Waker timeline, where, you know, this has been like thousands of years later, I guess most of the world that used to be has been flooded over. Yeah, it has. And uh, and then um, yeah, and then and then basically uh, and then basically what happened was Ganon comes back and breaks his seal. Um, and then in the um, um, in the Child Link timeline, what happened was um, you go back. And then effectively, uh, what ends up happening is you, you end up meeting uh, Zelda again, and then what they show you is that basically they capture Ganondorf before he has a chance to ascend to power. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then basically, uh, and then that leads into some of the other later stuff. But anyway, 
uh, with the timeline thing, and you know, I said it's a really cool concept. But yeah, as I'm saying, it's like each game is its own sort of unique experience. Because even you look at Skyward Sword, mm -hmm. and Skyward Sword is basically like, like uh, how because you wonder about certain things. Is that there are certain creatures and beings that you see in things like Legend of Zelda: Twilight Princess, and even Legend of Zelda: Ocarina of Time, and you wonder like how they came about. Well. Interestingly enough, it shows that uh, that beforehand there were a lot of lands that were actually, um, especially when you see some of the higher temples in some of the other Zelda games, mm -hmm. that there used to be these islands up in the clouds, and a lot of the beings used to travel between them using these birds. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, and that and that kind of actually ends up explaining the whole thing. A lot of the prehistory. There's another game that I have for the Game Boy Advance. It's called uh, Legends of the Diminished Cap. Mm -hmm. And that actually explains... Um, um, and that actually uh, explains... Because uh, what happened was there were these, um, there was these... There was this villain that had been introduced um, in, uh, in Four Swords and Four Sword Adventures. Yeah. Um, and... God, for the life of me, I wish I had this stuff with me right now, but I totally forget his name. I'm, I'm drawing a blank. You're good. And, and, uh, and I want to apologize to people for that. But anyway, but the the main bad guy that you see in those two games, in Four Sword and Four Sword Adventures, um, Minish Cap is kind of like his origin story. Mm -hmm. And it kind of tells you how he came about and how he ended up became, becoming like sort of... Uh, like, like what happened was he he became sort of like uh, attached, I guess, or, or cursed or something, or basically he was um, he was sort of trapped in the four swords. Mm -hmm. And what happens is with the four sword, whenever the four sword is drawn, um, uh, Link will basically break off into four versions of himself. Yeah, each with a different kind of personality. Um, and with a different kind of power as well. Uh, yeah, and, uh, and, and, and then you can use it to do cooperative tasks and whatnot. Um, and, uh, and anyway, um, but, Min but Minish Cap, um, it explains how this, how this dude um, gained his powers and how he ended up being sealed in the Four Sword. Mm -hmm. Now, I do have a question about... Yeah. Um, what Zelda's whole history and her whole reasoning as to being in the game because there's a lot of people that be like, okay, it focuses so much as it, the game focuses so much on Link and so much on Ganon that well, you see the Legend of Zelda and you, you hear so much about her, but it, no one really knows why she's so intricate well, into the game. And see, so, you know, this is one of the debates I usually <coughs> have with other people because the funny thing is, you get a lot of people, and especially newbies, will get into the game and they think that Zelda is Link, which is totally well, not. Which even is true. not. Not anybody who's played anybody who's played it knows the history, knows the Zelda games, knows that. Link is the main hero. And there's so many damn but, memes and, that make but, fun of it and uh, yeah. poke fun of it. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, but here's where Zelda is important to the franchise, and a lot of people don't give her credit. Because they always think that she's just the princess that has to get kidnapped. Yeah, it's, which like, is, it's which, like the Super Mario. Yeah. Uh, Princess Toadstool uh, is like yeah. the... But, but, 
But I love how they have evolved your character over the years. That, that that that's not necessarily the case. Yeah. Is that what happens is Zelda's family is very attached to the land of Hyrule. Mm-hmm. They're um the the royal family of Hyrule is basically is responsible for its prosperity. Exactly. Um, they're they're in, in a way tied to the land. But once again, um, each character represents a certain piece of it all as i said kind of like with the triforce you know and and zelda represents wisdom yeah she's she's and and i said because her family is basically usually always the big royal families in charge that's what i'm saying is like basically um she represents the wisdom of the land and uh and that is what I'm saying. This is where I go into kind of weird fan theories and whatnot. But I always tell people, it's like, it's like, no, it's like, well, if you look at it a different perspective, it's actually makes quite quite a good amount of sense. It's the reason why he's like, and as long as there's, as long as there's wisdom, there will always be Zelda and her family. As long as there's courage, there will always be um, Link and his line. Yeah. And as long as there are those who seek power, there will always be a Ganon. Exactly. So. It's almost like if you take even one of those away, the Triforce is no more. Exactly. Each plays a role. Um, you, you know, um, you, you have all three. They, they represent a trifecta that pretty much is what represents the entire world of Hyrule. Um, each, each character is representative of some part of that world. And with that, it that is one of the biggest reasons, in fact, it probably is the biggest reason why you have so many games. Mm-hmm. Because you look at the intricacies that is within the franchise and you realize that it's not really just a game, it's like a whole universe of its own. Oh yeah, and then you've expanded on it over years and years and years. Interestingly enough, you go back and you look at some of the old original games and interestingly enough it's like it started I mean I mean you started even having uh, even if you look at the old games it did have some stirrings of some epic stuff that would come later yeah but but when you really look at it like you go let, let's go back like to the original NES Legend of Zelda yeah that for the most part was was a simple action adventure kind of puzzle game or so you thought yeah <laughs> um, uh, well, what I'm saying, and, and uh, interestingly enough, that started out because because uh, uh, Miyamoto, the guy who's in charge of um, the who's in charge of Nintendo, um, he helped come up with the concept, and he said that he would just be um, exploring some of the wilderness in his backyard over in Japan. Yeah, and that actually gave him the idea for what would be Legend of Zelda, because because uh, a lot of games at that point. Didn't have a whole lot of exploratory elements. They really didn't. I mean, uh, it was yeah. just like line-based. Yeah. You know, this is side-scrolling. This is what yeah. you do. This it is was, where you go. Not yeah. a whole lot of... There was story in it, but there yeah. wasn't, like, intricate story. Exactly. The, the whole thing is, is that Legend of Zelda was ahead of its time. Now, it's considered pretty quaint nowadays if you go and look at it. But, but for the time, if you look at what its contemporaries were at the time, Legend of Zelda was quite innovative. There weren't a whole lot of games that were doing what it promised. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the whole thing, is that you basically had... It was like, you know, I mean, 
you know, to those of us to those of us who grew up with it, you know, and once again shows how old we are, is that uh, for those of us who grew up with it, it, you know, that that was the thing. It's like uh, Legend of Zelda was 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 one of those games that that it was like, oh wow, I didn't know a game could be this elaborate, and I didn't know a game could could have this many things in it. Because the thing is, Legend of Zelda came out in the early days of the NES. Yeah, and. Most games, when uh, mo- most games uh, prior to the NES, like you look at like the Atari twenty six hundred stuff, you were used to like three screens and maybe like six colors. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you even look at some of the early Nintendo games. Um, uh, a lot of them were good, but a lot of them were very um, sort of, you know, it was like uh, you, um, what was it? like you had like like like. Um, Ice climbers, mm-hmm. and that was basically just. I mean, I mean, it was a fun game, yeah, but most of most of it was basically you just like you know, um, building up uh, like uh, building up and breaking blocks of ice and getting points. You're yeah, like Bomberman, which... or, or yeah, 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 yeah. So you you look at that and, and it was <laughs> very simple, but then you end up getting games around the time he's like you get like then you got like games like Castlevania and then you got games like Legend of Zelda that were offering more exactly and the whole thing is is this was very innovative at the time as I, mean, I said you even have the game Rygar yeah exactly well, that the, was within the same yeah. intri- intricacy yeah. of the storyline actually drew you into the game exactly well it was more than that <coughs> the whole thing is, is like it had more than one screen yeah it had more than three screens. It was one of those. It was one of those things that we were like, "Oh my gosh!" I didn't know levels could be so expansive. I didn't know there could be so much here. It's like a panorama of adventure. It's amazing. Exactly. I mean, another game that came out around the time we even uh, talked about this in one of our former podcasts uh, is Ninja Gaiden. Yes. Ninja Gaiden was another story-based game, and and it was great because it actually had this intricate story to it. But what I'm saying is, Legend of Zelda was the same thing. Exactly. Whole thing. You had a stream of games coming out around that time, and it was uh, this was about um, '87. Yeah, and you had a lot of games that were just they were stretching the limit of what the NES could do. And as I said, you ended up getting more screens, more maps, more places you could explore. And and and, and even and this time you even had a narrative. You had a story that you were following. Not a whole lot of games had that at that time. Most of the time, it was just like perform some simple tasks, get some points. And the whole intricacy about the cinematics of the stories of the games that were coming out at that time had not been thought up yet. They were just like, mm-hmm. you know, you see a couple of games before that and you're just doing shooting or you're yeah. doing bombs or doing stuff like that. And when you get into the cinematics of the video games back in the day, you realize that these actually had storyboards yeah. to them. They actually yeah. had a story that it had to follow. Oh, is it another thing? I'm, I'm going to address the elephant in the room because a lot of people, will, uh, you know, the... They're going to be wondering about this anyway. Love me or hate me for it. Uh, once again, I, I talked about how, um, in, in, in previous podcasts, how I was actually a big fan of Castlevania II, Simon's mm-hmm. Quest. Yeah. And not a whole lot of people love that game. I actually have the same thing with Zelda II, The Adventure of Link. <laughs> that most people, most people actually do not like that game because they yeah. said it was a departure from what they had done in the first Legend of Zelda. Yeah. Uh, that was kind of the thing back then, was that it was like when they did sequels, they didn't want it to be too much like the first, so they would almost design it into a whole different kind of platform thing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And um, whereas with Castlevania, they went from a um, a uh, sort of a platform linear based game to um, to a sort of almost RPG kind of thing with the second one, um, or or exploratory, or I guess yeah, you call exploratory. It. Um, with Legend of Zelda, they actually did this. It was like whereas um, you could call the first Legend of Zelda sort of like an exploratory dungeon crawler. Mm-hmm. Um, second Legend of Zelda was actually definitely much more uh, based in RPG because if you think about it, the elements of it were like this: it, you, 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 you was yeah, you actually had more of a side scroll thing. It didn't have the overhead view. Yeah, it had the um, eagle eye view. Yeah. Um, you um the thing is is you would you would you would buy potions to get your life up mm-hmm. you would you would kill enemies and you would get uh, uh you would get these little um like like power sacks that would um that would actually give you experience mm-hmm. and and the more experience you got you could you you could once again it was and this is a typical rpg thing you could increase your health you could increase your attack and you could increase your magic and what's interesting is people nowadays, they look at games that have those elements in it. They look at Final Fantasy mm-hmm. uh, franchise, and they look at these other franchises that, okay, oh, I can level up my character doing this, this, and this. They don't mm-hmm. realize that how innovative that the mm-hmm. Zelda games were mm-hmm. to that being able to happen. Exactly, and the funny thing is, and I always tell people this the same thing too. Is I, I said I was one of the things like, because because um, I think Final Fantasy came out shortly after that. And, yeah, uh, it was like a couple yeah. of years afterwards. Well, I don't think it was a couple. But I think it was maybe a few months or so after that. Uh, oh wait a minute! Legend, no, because it, well, come, it, it, it had come out in the fall, and uh, Legend well, of Zelda had come out in the well, summer well, or something like that. Zelda Two Adventure Lake had come out in 1988 because yeah. yeah, the first game which came out in the state at 87. Second game came out in '88. Yeah, and I think that um, I, I think it was kind of like this. I'm gonna have to go back and look at the timeline, but I believe Legend of Zelda, that the Zelda Two Adventure Link had come out earlier in the year, and and Final Fantasy had come out later in the year. That's right, because yeah. I remember buying yeah. Legend of Zelda, and all of a sudden Final Fantasy comes out, and I'm like, what the fuck? Well, uh, so, so you, could, <laughs> you could say they were ripping off each other. What I like to say is that both of them actually kind of helped perfect what RPG games would be later. Yeah. Um, I don't necessarily see it ripping off. But how I see it is they were borrowing the concept to see how they could um, mm-hmm. capitalize and make something better than what it had already been. Well, and I think we touched on this before, um, but I think another reason was, was that um, the thing is... A lot of video game sequels... He hadn't had a lot of video game sequels up to that point. Not really. And, um... And, you know, here's the whole thing about it, was they weren't... They didn't had They hadn't quite perfected the formula for games, which would become a big thing later on, especially in the 90s. Exactly. Um, in the 80s, they were still experimenting with that formula, and so what they felt was that fans would probably be disappointed if 
the second game was too much like the first game. Hence why there were so many sequels that were different. And it, we, we touched on this before in the Castlevania thing. But it's like, it's the reason why Castlevania 2 is different from Castlevania 1. Mm -hmm. It's the reason why Super Mario Brothers 2 was different from the first one. Super Mario yeah. 2 was like yeah. totally yeah. an F and left field. Oh yeah, and then it's, it's <laughs> the exact same thing with Legend of Zelda. <clears throat> they were doing this with a lot of sequels at the time. And Legend of Zelda was no exception. Legend of Zelda, they decided, okay, we can't have this be exactly like the first one, so we're going to have to do something to make it unique. Okay, well, why don't we make it more RPG-based and less dungeon-crawler-based? Yeah, because God forbid that it's to, yeah. it looks like the... It feels like the well, same fucking franchise. Well, I know, but once again, they had, they had to perfect it, because there was, there's a good way that a lot of people have found out to do sequels, and that actually... And that's what I want to segue into this one, was the the game that came out after Zelda 2, uh, which was, uh, was with the very first Legend of Zelda Super Nintendo game. Yes. Legend of Zelda A Link to the Past. I think that's where they perfected um, how to do the Legend of Zelda sequel. Was basically, okay, we can still make it its own thing, but obviously there are familiar elements that fans are going to want with each game. And the best part is the fact that they knew that if they didn't keep those elements in, the fans were going to be like, nope. Can't have it. They were going to yeah. boo it off the shelves. Well, that's what I'm saying, because the problem is, is they, uh, I mean, even though it didn't do too badly, uh, there were a lot of fans that were horribly disappointed with what they had done with Zelda 2 The Adventure Blank. They yeah. were like, oh my god, I don't like that side-scrolling thing. I don't like I don't like the fact that you made it much more RPG than the last one. Um, so, um, so with Link to the Past, what they did was, okay, let's say, how can we make something that's different from the first one? but also still has elements that the fans love. So that's what they did. They said, okay, we'll bring back the, we'll the top-down view. Mm -hmm. we'll, um, we'll turn it into a dungeon crawler again. But in order to make it different, we're going we're gonna to add some abilities. We're going to add some more stuff. We're, uh, and then we're going to actually even um, add in different story elements. Don't you just love fans that are picky? Oh, well, yeah, and it happens, but what I'm saying is, in this case, I actually say that Nintendo did the right thing. They basically learned, they, they were they were kind of just like with everything, you got to scrape your knees and then you learn. Yeah. What happened was, they learned how to do a proper sequel. Because, to me, and once again, I love Zelda 2 Adventure Link, and I said, I'm a no woman minority in this one, and I thought it was really good. I did but, too. But I do have to agree with this one was that A Link to the Past was definitely much more of a spiritual successor to the first game than the second game was. Had it not been yeah. that, yeah. I personally don't feel that um, any of the any of the successors to the Zelda franchise would have been as popular had it not oh. been its own little entity. Oh yeah, and I think you'll agree with this. I think you'll agree with this, is that most people, usually when they're compiling top ten lists of some of their favorite video games... And I'm not just talking just the Legend of Zelda franchise, but their favorite nostalgic video games that yeah. usually will always include a spot for the Legend of Zelda Link to the Past. Exactly, because it was its own thing. It basically blazed its own trail in such a way that you have these other games that decided to have that one game within the franchise blaze its own trail. And it kind of, like, mm -hmm. A Link to the Past kind of started that. Oh, exactly. And once again, I said it was it was it was the sequel that was done in the right way. Yeah. And uh, and the thing is, is that can you imagine uh, if they had messed it up? 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, we, we wouldn't even be talking about this today. We'd be talking about, hey, you remember those video games that almost made it? <laughs> <laughs> but they didn't. Yeah, but they didn't. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, but anyway, no, but it, it worked. It was a good gamble. And then actually led to other great things because uh, it led to the first Legend of Zelda Game Boy title, which is another one of my favorites. Is that it was Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening. Oh, I uh, love that one. And yeah, you know yeah. what's really interesting? I love the fact that the Game Boy came out as yeah. black and white because when I went back and I tried to play it in color uh -huh. with the color Game Boy, I just I couldn't get into it because it just wasn't nostalgic enough for me. And I may be sounding like a picky little asshole <laughs> when I say that, but when you grow up with a yeah. certain type of pizzazz that a video well, game franchise brings out. Aesthetic, I think. Yeah. yeah. You, you kind of just, like, don't want to F with it. You know? You're just uh. like, I just... I don't know. Oh, I totally get it. It's like, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes it's the reason why, I, you know, it's like, it's like I'll go and I'll, I'll go and I'll watch, like, classic horror movies. And I'll and I'll watch the black and whites, the old Universal black and whites. Oh yeah, the Hammer uh, Horror film one. Oh, oh well, actually, Hammer Hammer Horror was actually definitely more in color. But I'm talking about like the old Universal films. Oh, you're talking yeah. about like Wolfman yeah. and yeah, yeah, Dracula exactly, exactly. I'll go and I'll watch those in black and white. And then they do have, hilariously enough, and I found them because they actually had shown them on TV before. They did have colorized versions. I went and I watched those, and I was like, oh, God, now the atmosphere's ruined. You've turned this into an abomination. Thank you very much. And it's almost like they took the gothic atmosphere and they gave it, they slapped it with sprinkle confetti. Well, yeah, exactly. It's like, <laughs> it's like, because there was a difference. Like, each one has its own aesthetic. And, and, and with the black and whites, it was like the black and white worked. They made the black and white work. It was like, it was like, the, it was more spooky because not only did it have that good sort of uh, sets and and, 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 and and setting, but the black and white kind of made it even more on the spooky side. Yeah, it gave the you know, tone what it needed for what they in, were going for. Whereas in contrast, uh, but they were able to pull off their own thing. You had, and I love the fact you mentioned Hammer Horror, um, with the Hammer Horror movies, they were, they were in color, meant to be in color, exactly. but they made that work. That worked because what happened was then they decided, okay, well, how do we make, how do we not only bring it into color, but how do we make that scary? And then they're like, well, hey, and this was one thing that was innovative back then. Not so big nowadays because everybody does it. Oh, but Jesus. but there were some innovative things that they did back then. First off, blood. Back 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 beforehand, you didn't have a whole lot of blood movies. You know, because of the censors and whatnot. But basically, when when Hammer Horror decided they were doing their movies, you you got to see blood dripping. You got to see you know like the leaky fangs. Yeah. Yeah, and, and then uh, you know, and and so that was how they amped it up. But then you couple that with gorgeous Gothic architecture. Exactly. That that they had in those movies, and then that's what kind of became its own thing. And so it's kind of the same thing, and I totally understand what you're getting about with video games, mm -hmm. and, and especially with Legend of Zelda. I mean, if you grow up, and and you have a Game Boy, and you're playing the original Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening, mm -hmm. um, and then you go and you play it in color. I mean, you know, you might like it, but then at the same time, you're kind of like, wow, it's like, well, I kind of miss the old way it was done. It's like a, <laughs> it just happens. But, uh, but you know, it's kind of like me. You know, I, I'll admit. It's like, uh, and I tell people this too. It's like, it's like I, I see these gorgeous video games nowadays. Yeah. With great graphics all <clears> over <throat> the place. 
But I tell them, because of my age, I find myself going back to the 8-bit and 16-bit stuff. Um, you know, because that's what I grew up on. Exactly. <laughs> now, I want to throw in some stuff about Hammer Horror that I absolutely enjoyed. And this may come off as sexist, and this may come off as, you know, misogynistic, and I don't give a shit. Um, the women that, the, that had... Roles in those Hammer horror films were absolutely gorgeous. Well, and that was actually kind of the point. Um, and 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 once again, you know, uh, people could take a leave it, take it or leave it, as as we say it. And those little things, like I want to uh, just say out, I'd say this immediately for most people is that no, Corey and I do not hate women. No, Corey and I are not uh, not against that. You know, we're talking about this more in sort of an analytical sense. Exactly. Not. Not sort of like, oh, like, oh, hey, you know, uh, you know, that's a hot woman over there, and that's a hot woman over there. Exactly. No, we're, it's not like that. We're we're talking about this in more in an analytical sense, and I want that out there. But yeah, no, in terms of Hammer Horror, but that was kind of the point, especially with they did their vampire movies, because the the whole thing about vampires, a lot of people, you know, will either try to make them look ultra ugly or try to make them look like like teen idols or something, but. <laughs> But there is no gray. They were, but they were supposed to be very. <laughs> well, they were supposed to be very seductive. Yeah. There was. It was. It was like. It was. It was like. They were supposed to be equal parts scary as much as they were sexy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the same reason why Dracula was supposed to be uh, was was suppo- was supposed to have this huge effect, um, especially on women, was because it was basically. It, 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 um, it, it was basically supposed to be, uh, as I said, equal parts sexy as it was scary. He the was sexy. Ba- he was the basically se- the brooding vampire. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, uh, well, it's like the sexy part was basically how he would draw them in. He would draw them in with his animal magnetism, with mm-hmm. uh, with his with 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 his extreme with his extreme good looks. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the scary part came with basically when he when he basically, you know, uh, when he would uh, drain them of their blood and basically yeah. uh, the, the take uh, his animal side would take over and, and it would basically be because uh, interestingly enough um, that you know that was that was that was the whole whole different aspect of it yeah. was was basically you had the sexy part being how they drew them in but then. The more scary slash animalistic part was when they would drain them of their blood and kill them, or turn them over to being vampires themselves, depending yeah. on how they did that. Exactly. But but either way, no, I, I totally understand that. But but and here's the whole thing: is and a lot of people can go ahead and deny it up and down, but this is the truth. Um, and I'd been told this years ago, and I've seen it. Here's the whole thing: sex sells. It, it really does, and yeah. as much as people want to think that that's a sexist thing yeah i would like to throw this out here real quick um not only does sex sell but fuck you for thinking it doesn't (laughs) because i mean you look at even the music way back in the day of our mom and dad's era Mm -hmm. i mean the beach boys how many songs of the beach boys it had that little sensual innuendo us talk about get in my car so i can bang the hell out of you but they mm-hmm. didn't say it. Here's, here's, yeah, it's funny. There's the only difference between back then and now. Yeah. And, and you know, a lot of people can go ahead and, and say, oh, we, we've evolved this, we've evolved that, we've done this whole thing. 
No, here's the whole thing. Is that is is that that's actually not new. The only difference is in the presentation. The, exactly. The difference in technology. The or explicitness. Or, or or basically how blatant they are. So yeah. Here's the whole thing. They were talking about sex all the freaking time, as you said, like back way back in the '60s. Talking about all the freaking time. The only difference was the was that they were more innuendous about it. Exactly. Um, you know, there was there was it was brought out more in in innuendo and less about um, and, and and you know and, and then less blatant. The only difference was nowadays. Nowadays, nowadays we still talk about that and it's still prevalent in our music. The only difference is now we just blatantly say it. Now it's basically like you know, you know, you got most freaking songs nowadays saying that basically you know I, I'm gonna screw you in the back seat of my car. Exactly. You've got Nine Inch Nails closer, basically saying I wanna fuck you like an animal. Yeah, and then you said, know. <laughs> plus it's, it's got even uh, even more blatantly direct since then because that one came out in '94. Yeah, <laughs> and that was like that was Reznor being as subtle as he possibly could. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's what I'm saying. Uh, is that I totally, is, but, but either way, it's like you know, in terms of like you know, video games and, and, and you talk about like like you know the 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 old school horror stuff, especially the Hammer horror stuff that you were bringing up. Yeah, is that is is that that basic that 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 was that was the thing was that um was was that there that was part of their draw. Not only was it scary, but it was sexy, sexy and scary together. The whole thing is, is that a lot of people don't draw that comparison, but that's a big theme in horror, but it has been a huge theme in horror for years and years and years, is 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 you've got the sexy with the scary. Mm-hmm. You know, the sexy is what draws you in, what yeah. get, which gets you to go, oh, I'm so intrigued, I want to see what's going on with this and this and thing, and then the horror is the part where basically, like, ah, I'm so intrigued, oh, ah, ah, oh, oh my god, ah. <laughs> sweet Jesus, yeah. just had a heart attack, yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm saying, you know, so, it, it's, it's the exact same thing, is that, uh, is that's pretty much what you do, is, is, is it's the old, um, what, what, what do you call it, um, um, it, well, it's basically like, that's, that's what good horror does, is basically, it gets you to drop your guard. And your pants. <laughs> well, that, that, you know, they're not mutually exclusive. Um, but, uh, but, it, but it basically gets you to do that, get to that point where you're feeling totally safe, and then something bad happens. Exactly. That's, that's horror for you. But but that's the whole point, and and then and then you know and then and then also there's but but it's not just it's not just the sexy element though, to me and I and I have explained this in in previous podcasts to me it's the atmosphere you got to get the atmosphere right the whole thing is and, and and this is why I I am I tend to be more of an old school horror fan than than with say some of the newer stuff. There are a few newer ones I have liked, but it was because they managed to capture that older atmosphere. I did watch that movie Winchester, thought it was great, because it had an old-school horror feel to it. I haven't seen it yet, I want to. Oh, oh, check it out, check it out, definitely worth it. Um, but, but what I'm getting at is, like, with some of the old-school films that we talked about, especially the Hammer Horror ones, as you brought up. Yeah. Um, with, with, with that, they had this really great atmosphere. You you could feel it. It was that 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 dark gothic atmosphere, which got great, which was greatly captured in games like 
Castlevania. Castlevania definitely had a hammer horror feel to it. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, and and that's what I'm saying. And, and and they had that. It was it was the gothic architecture. It was the cinematography. It was. It, it it was it was that it was the it was the music that they would bring up, um, so yeah. So either way, I mean that that's the whole thing. And uh, I'm gonna take this opportunity to uh, before we wrap the whole thing up to segue into um, uh, a thing that I I think I think we brought up, which is a good thing to do in each podcast, is some recommendations to the fans of maybe some. Some new books that we're reading, and some some maybe even some new stuff coming out from Crazy Monkey Inc. Before we wrap up the podcast, um, first off, Vorpal by Jason Tudor mm. is uh, number three is in the works. Also, um, Five Star by Tony Clapper. The third one, he's working on the third one, and the second one should be getting released here pretty soon. And um, he's wrap, he's wrapping up the um, the Kickstarter perks. Yeah, and Zodiac number three just released. Got my copy today. Just barely released. You can get it online, and we're still waiting for the production to be done for Romeo and Juliet: River of Blood by Stefano Caracelli. I'm still mm -hmm. going to be getting that one as well. And also, with the Furious Kickstarter being done and taken care of, we are awaiting post-production for that as well so that can be put on the website as well we'll definitely let you know when both mm -hmm. of those books um are due to be released so that you can pick up those copies oh, yeah. definitely going to be a thing that you're going to want to pick oh, up yeah. and Corey and i definitely want to let it let you know that uh that uh that our titles are being worked on um we're we're getting into some of the preliminary work for darren number four and and uh gas bear is uh is is uh, near finished with uh, Taxi Cab Joe number two. He's got nine more pages. Yeah, just nine more pages to go. Um, and uh, that's some of the stuff coming out for Crazy Monkey Inc. I want to give a few book suggestions. Um, in terms of books that I suggest reading, um, uh, you know, I, I usually always like to uh, talk about some of my favorite series and whatnot. I would definitely suggest the Dune series. Oh, definitely. This, like is my, this is my recommendation for this time. Uh, read the original Frank Herbert Dune series. If you like smart sci-fi, um, you'll like this. However, if you get lost and you think that uh, you, you, if you don't like intricate stuff and it bores you, you're not going to want to do this. But if you like smart sci-fi, check out the Dune series. Exactly. And I've got two recommendations before we go. Sarah Bailey's Vampire Kiss just barely Vampire Kisses just barely came out on Amazon.com. Go and check that out. It's the sequel to Demon's Destiny. Also, I'm gonna be I just purchased Paul Blake's A Young Man's Game. Pick nice. that one up as well. And also uh Sean is wrapping up the sequel to Fur Lodge. Oh, nice. So that should be coming out soon. I'm definitely going to buy that book. And we are done with this podcast. Yep, so we're going to wrap it up. Jared, thank you for coming on and always being a guest because we love your input. Oh, no, it's always fun, dude. Glad to be here. 
And with that in mind, stay excellent to each other, lift each other up, do what you can to put a smile on someone's face. If they're looking like they need a hug or if they need help across the street or just some positive encouragement, throw that their way too because there's nothing like making someone's day a little bit brighter in a dull universe. Have a wonderful night, everybody.